In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of months ago, I met someone at a concert. And since I was wearing my collar, he felt obliged to ask me a theological question. And so he asked me, what was the most important thing Jesus said in the Bible? And that seems like a, a fairly provocative question, but I didn't have to really think very hard about my answer. I responded by quoting Matthew 4.17. This is just as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, and he begins it by proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, from the look on this gentleman's face, I knew that he was not impressed with my selection. So I threw in John 3.16. He was much happier with that answer, and he continued on with his evening. Now, when we think of Jesus' ministry and his teaching, what typically comes to mind are things like his miracles or perhaps his call to love our neighbor as ourself. What we often miss is the fact that everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus teaches in the Gospels is always done within the context of the coming kingdom of God. But this concept of the kingdom is one that modern Christians typically miss or we simply just ignore. We've made our Christian faith all about going to heaven when we die. And while that is certainly a truth that Paul addresses in his letters, Jesus talks very little, if at all, about the spiritual reality of heaven. What he does talk a great deal about is the kingdom of God. And that is a very different concept than heaven. The kingdom of God refers to God's kingly rule here on earth. And we know that the kingdom was initiated by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and it will be fully consummated at the end of the age when Christ returns and the physical and the spiritual worlds are renewed and reunited into the new heavens and the new earth. And thus we talk about the already not yet fully nature of the kingdom of God. It is already here. It is already in our midst. And yet it is not yet fully consummated. So with this background in mind, I'd like to explore Jesus' parable of the seed growing in Mark chapter 4. Jesus begins this parable in verse 26 by saying, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The people that Jesus is addressing, especially in this early part of his ministry, are by and large not super refined city folk with lots of book learning. They're farmers and fishermen and tradesmen. So when Jesus starts talking about planting seed, this is something that everyone there could have easily related to. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. For starters, they knew how hard it was to plant and grow a crop. 
First, you have to prepare the soil, making sure that it's churned up and free of rocks and weeds. Then you have to put down manure or other fertilizers to help the soil become rich and conducive to growing. After all, seed will not grow unless it is planted in good soil. Once the seed is planted, the farmer must be sure to tend to his field, continually pulling weeds, making sure that there's plenty of water and sunlight, and ensuring that the birds don't come down and eat what has been sown. Now, in the same way, our role in the kingdom of God is not a passive one. We're not called to just sit around and wait for something to happen. We are called to live now for the kingdom of God by preparing soil, by planting seeds, and by tending the fields. Now this does not necessarily mean that each one of us is called to go and preach on the street corner to people as they walk by. For the most part, we all proclaim the coming kingdom of God by living our lives now with the understanding that Jesus is already king. As Father Dan said in his class last Sunday, part of what caused the early church to grow so quickly is that they lived lives differently from those who are under the rule of the imperial government. They refused to do things like worship the emperor or participate in trade unions where they would be asked to do unethical things or to take oaths of loyalty. The early Christians treated women and slaves not only as human beings, but as equal members of the Christian community. The Christians rescued children who had been abandoned and left for dead by their parents. And because these early Christians believed that Jesus was already king and not Caesar, it meant that they lived very differently than those around them. And those people who were not Christians took notice. They wondered what it was that made these strange people different and why they were so willing to die for the sake of this man, Jesus, who they claimed had died but had been risen from the dead. In many ways, it was this difference that made the early church so attractive to those around them. And that same principle ought to still apply today. We need to live our lives today as though Jesus is already king, and we need to teach others to do the same. We are God's kingdom here on earth, and that kingdom transcends all of these things that our world tells us are so important. Things like our nationality, our political party, our race, or even our denominational affiliations. When our primary identity above all else is our citizenship in God's kingdom, then, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God truly is within us. And yet, despite all that we might do ourselves, the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God is the responsibility of God alone. Jesus says that the farmer sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. 
So even though the farmer can do everything in his power to make sure that his field is good for planting, he cannot, no matter how hard he tries, actually cause the crop to grow. Only God can do that. And in the same way, no matter how much we think we might be perfecting our world and the society we live in, we cannot bring the kingdom of God to bear simply through our own efforts. After all, if the kingdom is just about us getting it right, then we're in big, big, big trouble. Now there is, among many people, some Christians included, this concept of a progressive morality. This claims that we are progressing and becoming more and more morally pure with each generation. And the idea is that we will continue until we have, have at last the perfect moral society. And at that point, we will have the kingdom of God. But it doesn't take a scholar of human behavior or history to know that that simply is not true. Now, sure, our behavior today may be different than it was a thousand years ago. There's very little chance that the people of Springfield are going to band together, form a mob, and go sack Nixa, steal all their stuff, and bring it back to Springfield. Slavery has been outlawed for over a hundred years, and we no longer hang people for stealing a loaf of bread. And this is all good. <clears throat> but sin has not disappeared. It simply changed its form. And we need only to watch the evening news to know that really we're no better off today than we were a hundred, five hundred, or a thousand years ago. Now, I fully believe that this world will one day be restored and perfected, but only God can do that. Only God can bring his kingdom to its completion. Well, Jesus concludes this parable by saying, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, there's plenty that the farmer can do, but ultimately he has to wait patiently for that crop to grow. However, he also has to be prepared for when it is time to harvest the crop. In a similar manner, Jesus is calling us to be prepared for the kingdom harvest at his return. Now, like many of you, I've really been enjoying Father Dan's class on the book of Revelation but some of you might be a little disappointed in it. After all, Father Dan hasn't talked at all about what the end of the world is going to look like. There's been no reference whatsoever to Tim LaHaye and the Left Behind series. And really, that's the exciting part of Revelation, right? <laughs> As modern Christians, we can easily spend so much time trying to figure out how Jesus is going to return that we fail to prepare ourselves properly for when Jesus finally returns. Imagine that you're expecting some important guests to come and visit you and stay with you in your home. 
but you don't know exactly when they're going to arrive. You could spend all of your time trying to figure out how they're going to get to your house. Are they going to take the highways or are they going to go by back roads? Do you think they'll drive the speed limit when they come or do you think they'll go a little faster? What kind of car do you think they're going to drive? What about snacks? My goodness, we need to know what kind of snacks they're going to be eating as they come. Now, these are all fun things to think about. But the problem is, all of that time could be better spent doing things like cleaning your house, making the bed, and making sure that you have plenty of food in the house for whenever the guests arrive. Because here's the thing, they will get there whenever and however they get there. And you have no control over that. But you do have control over your own preparation. And the same is true when it comes to Jesus' return and the kingdom of God. As one of my Baptist friends recently said to me, when we look at the return of Jesus Christ, we, the church, are called to be the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. And because we don't know when Jesus will ultimately return, we need to be ready at all times for that possibility. Now, the most effective thing that we can do is to simply start living now as though the kingdom is already here. When we look at our lives, we have to ask ourselves, am I reflecting the values of the kingdom of God? Or am I simply reflecting the values of the kingdom of the world? And we can easily be confused between those two. When I was in seminary, I remember having a conversation with one of my classmates who was a bit farther left on the political spectrum than I am. Now, granted, everyone in my seminary class was to the left of me. Nevertheless, I remember saying to him, how can you be a Democrat and a Christian? And he said to me, how can you be a Republican and a Christian? But looking back on that conversation, I've realized that we were actually both wrong. Because we were trying to define our Christian faith based on different worldly political platforms. And as I've continued to grow and mature in my faith, I've come to realize that if we think any political party fully represents a biblical worldview, we have been severely deceived. Caesar has never been a reliable source for sound theology. If we're allowing things like television shows, news channels, or social media posts to dictate how we think and behave without testing these ideas against the standard of Holy Scripture, then we are not living as citizens of the kingdom. When Jesus returns to consummate his kingdom, he isn't going to care how we voted or what news channel we watched. He's going to care about whether or not we proclaim the gospel and promoted justice. He's going to care about whether we love the Lord with all our heart and our neighbors ourselves. He's going to care that we stood up for the oppressed and helped the downtrodden. 
This, my friends, is how we prepare ourselves for the coming kingdom of God. Back in the days of the Roman Empire, any time a new territory came under the control of Caesar, the Romans would try to make that new territory as much like Rome as possible. And so they would build Roman temples and introduce all of the Roman gods, including the worship of Caesar himself. They would institute Roman education, arts, and culture. They would build Roman baths and gymnasiums. They would do everything they could to make it as much like Rome as possible so that when Caesar arrived, he would feel at home and they would be ready for him. Well, my friends, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as we live patiently waiting for the Lord to bring it to its completion, let us do all in our power to prepare ourselves for its fulfillment and his return as we plant the seeds of the kingdom in those around us. Let us, each and every one of us, live as loyal subjects of King Jesus, the one true king, so that when he does return, we will be ready to welcome him joyfully. Thanks be to God. Amen.